Hello. I'm going to put that there. Um, do, you ever get, do you ever get the sense or feeling that we're in hopeless times? Do you ever like that? I'm just hopeless at things. My father-in-law's been um, laying the laminate flooring in our house this weekend. I've never felt so hopeless. I just don't know what I'm doing. The amount of times that me and Liz looked at each other, yes, Liz and my wife, um, yesterday, uh, we looked at each other and went, should we, should we just go out for a bit, just to kind of get out of the house? And so we ended up in town, garden centres, you name it, we were there trying to kill time. But it's, there's a sense, isn't there, we're in hopeless, hopeless times. Do you know, um, my generation, if you're a millennial, give me a holler. There's a few of us in the room. And Gen Zs who are over there, over here, young people. Um, you are the best young people I've ever met in my life. I don't just say that to anyone. Um, but we, we have been dubbed, did you know this? The hopeless generation. That fills you with confidence, doesn't it? The hopeless generation. We are stressed, depressed, exam-obsessed. Aren't we? Aren't we? Do you know what World Health Organization called stress... The health epidemic of the 21st century. Do you know, the last 10 years, we've seen the use of antidepressants increase by 98% in a decade. If you're here today and you take antidepressants, we love you. That isn't a a stick at you. Um, Childline reported that in 2017... um, between 2017 and 18, 50% of children seeking counselling were concerned with the th- these three things. And I think they might be related. Number one, their work schedule. It's too much. Seriously, a 12 to 16-year-old? Their work schedule's too much? What's going on? Pressure from parents. Do you get that, young people? Nodding, yes. Pressure from parents. And, and this, this question, am I going to get the right grades or not? Am I going to get the right grades? Uh, and so my question really is, is, for a hopeless generation, in times that seem hopeless, what does hope even look like? For this, I need four competitors. One, two, three, four. Come and join me. Round of applause to my competitors. Excellent. Now, I, I hope that this works. I don't know if, if this, I've not actually tested this. I hope that it works. Um, I'm just going to interview my guests very, very quickly. Um, just to give you the rules of the game, there are no winners, just one loser. Um, name, where you're from? Uh, I'm Will, and I'm from Cheltenham. Excellent. What's your name, where you come from? Uh, May, originally Seattle, but here in Cheltenham for 15 years. Love it. We love, we love the people from overseas. Who are you? What's, where are you from? I am Eric, and I'm from Cheltenham. And you are? Marion. I'm from, well, born in South Africa, live in Cheltenham. All right, no, no need to show off. Um, okay, so the, the premise of the game, if you don't know, is we're going to turn this on, and we're going to make sure there's four people playing. Yeah, there's four people. And what's going to happen is you're going to grab one of these silver things... And at random, it will electrocute you. Okay? Now, just before we play the game, what, what, do you, what are you hoping for, Mario? That I win. What are you hoping for, Eric? Not to get shocked. What are you hoping for? That it's not going to hurt. And what are you hoping for? Oh, I don't lose. 
I don't lose. He doesn't lose. Okay, great. Here we go. Round one. If you can all grab a silver thing. Yeah, it's all completely random. Your thumb needs to be on a black thing. You can pull it out. You can pull it out. There you go. Look, it's got wires. Come on, Eric. There we go. Okay, here we go. So round number one. Okay, if you got electrocuted, you are now out of the game. Sorry, Will. That's Mario. No, let go. That's fine. And we're going to change. It's good, this, isn't it? Okay, here we go. Round two. Tense. Anyone? Oh. Okay, drop those ones. Yeah, the other side. We need to pick those ones up. Okay, here we go. Round three. Here we go. Right, here we go. Sorry, I couldn't, you couldn't see, could you? Sorry. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Keep it PG. Anyone? Yes! 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 There are no winners, only losers in this game, my friends. Round of applause for our competitors. My question for 30 seconds for you is this. Where was hope in action? Where was hope in action? Just some ideas. Just bounce it around with someone next door to you. Where was hope? In that game, where was it in action? Go. Over to you. Okay, okay, just, just some, I haven't got a microphone to run around, so just some very quick answers, just shout them out. Where, where was hope in action? Waiting, Waiting yet? Yeah. They didn't quit. We hope they didn't quit, because that would have been boring for us. Any, any others? Hope what? Hoping that your thumb works, yeah? Hoping that they'd hold on? Willing to step up. Yes, I was hoping that you were willing to step up, because I'd not trialled it, not prepped it. So there was lots of hope in the room, wasn't there? Or was there? Or was there? Because here's, here's my answer to that question. Where, where was hope in, in action? It wasn't. It wasn't. You see, our hope often looks like optimism. Hoping for positive outcomes. We hope in positive outcomes all the time. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I, I, I personally hope that I remember my mum's dress size. Because that would be awkward if I buy her a dress too small or too big. Or Liz does, more to the fact. Um, I, I hope I can afford to buy better gifts for the people that I love. I hope I get no homework over Christmas. I mean, I won't, but you might, Elliot. I hope that we sing Silent Night at the carol service. I hope that my granddad isn't lonely. I hope that mum stays sober. I hope that my mock exams go well. I hope that she'll notice that I've liked a few of her Instagram photos. 
Jeez. I hope that we can step up this relationship a bit. I hope that someone makes a scientific breakthrough in, in that, that illness that I have. I, uh, we hope in ourselves. We hope in our achievements. Dare I say we put too much hope in democracy? We hope in our optimism. This kind of hope, hope in optimism, it, it's tied in intimately to one of the many myths, I believe, that our culture teaches us. That all we need is to be educated, informed, and encouraged to progress toward a kind of optimistic human utopia. This kind of optimistic world where things are all better. And, and as we progress, we'll see hopefully on, a, on the screen. Here we go. Where we are now, as we kind of progress through time, all we need to be is more educated, more informed, more, in, um, uh, more uh, encouraged to kind of progress towards this human utopia. And as we do, um, love of God decreases, love of self increases. Now, this isn't new. This, this, is, a, this is a problem of our, of our um, sort of post-fall humanity. We live in a world of, of selfishness. And that's been with, with God's people since the beginning of time. Israel, time and time and time again, were making idols with their hands. The issue that we have now is that we no longer need our hands to make idols. We just use our thumbs. Now, it doesn't take me to point out a youth pastor of this church to let you know that optimism isn't the hope that the Bible is on about. But I'm here to tell you that that isn't biblical hope. So what is biblical hope? And how can we practice it? Let me pray for us. Jesus, help us. Help me. Amen. So, Old Testament, we're going to go on a bit of a Bible journey tonight. Um, you can try and read along, but I've tried to put the slides, the verses in the slides, because we're going to go, kind of go all over the place. Um, we're going to start in the Old Testament. Now, there were two, did you know, for, for example, that the Bible wasn't originally written in English? Fact points. It was written originally in Hebrew, and so sometimes you have to understand the, re, the original Hebrew words. So there were two. Um, the first was this weird word called yakal. Um, which meant wait for. The other one was kavar, which, meant, which equals tension and expectation. Um, some biblical examples for us then. So Noah, um, who was the great guy who lived in a boat for a long, long time because um, God flooded the earth. Um, we read in Genesis 8, verses 10 to 12, this. Um, he waited seven more days and again sent out a dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then no one knew that the water had receded from the earth. Verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. But this time it did not return to him. Another Old Testament biblical example, Isaiah was a, was a prophet. And um, he lived in a time where Israel was not having a great time. And um, he depicts God as a farmer who plants um, seeds for vines and waits for good fruit, uh, good fruit to grow. And in Isaiah verse, um, chapter 5, verse 2, we read this. 
He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in, um, in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for good crop, for a crop of good grapes, sorry, but it yielded only bad fruit. And so in the Old Testament, we see that hope equaled waiting or tense expectation. But waiting for what? What are they waiting for? Um, Isaiah, again, continued. Um, this time when he writes this, Israel is literally sinking itself into um, self-destruction. And in chapter 8, verse 17, we read this. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from his descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. You see, the only hope that Isaiah had in those dark times was God himself. His hope was not based in optimistic outcomes, but in God himself. And we see this kind of hope all over the book of Psalms. Which is, I mean, we sing worship songs, right? And back in the day, apparently they sung psalms. And they are some of the beautiful poems um, that we get to read day in and day out. And we see it all over psalms. And here's an example in Psalm 130, verse 5 to 7. Um, It says this, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I think I repeated that twice. Um, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, his unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. You see, where optimism chooses to see how um, circumstances can work out, biblical hope is not based upon circumstances at all. It's based upon God. It's based upon a person. And again, in the Bible, it's full of people that that have this kind of hope, that hope in a person, not their circumstances. One example is Hosea, who who uh, recognizes no evidence of things working out at all, and yet he hopes still. Um, Again, Hosea was another guy who's who's living in a dark time when when Israel's being oppressed by, by foreign countries, literally being taken over by other kings and empires. And he chose hope anyway. And he talks about um, his valley of trouble being turned into a gateway of hope. Um, In Hosea 2.15, we read this. This is the NLT, New Living Translation version. Um, It reads this. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. Hosea remembered God in the midst of his circumstances. He didn't have optimism, he had hope. And what I want to say to us tonight is that it's God's past faithfulness that gives us hope for the future. It's God's past faithfulness that gives us hope for the future. Biblical hope is a bit like waiting for a pizza. Imagine the scene. You are hungry. 
Always, yes, Chloe. I, I, I hear you, sister. But there is famine in the land. There is nothing in the fridge. And, and you can't be bothered to cook. And so you, you decide, hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to view the ancient, the ancient scripts of the menu. And you see in the menu pictures of what it looks like for your hope to be filled. A meteor. A ham and pineapple. Get out. Veggie Supreme. (gasps) You see pizza. And so you present your request to God. You say a little prayer through a phone. Or through a phone. And you present your request to God, Domino's. And amen, your your order is being processed as as we wait. But this isn't optimism. No. Why? Because your hope for the future is based upon the past faithfulness of Domino's. It's based upon the past faithfulness of the delivery driver. You remember that she came when she said that she would come with the thing that she promised, that you ordered. But she came. (laughs) She arrived. How many know that God's timing is not our timing? Ah, flipping heck. But she arrived on time at at, at other times. You know, you you look forward to your pizza arriving because you remember the past faithfulness of Domino's. It's a silly story, but I hope that illustrates that it's God's past faithfulness that gives us hope for our future. We look forward by looking back, trusting in nothing other than God's character. John Mark Comer puts it like this. Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good, that's what it says, based upon the character of God. New Testament. The earliest followers of Jesus, um, they cultivated this similar habit of hope. They they looked back all the time to help them look forward. Um, And they believed that Jesus' life, death and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to sin and death. The empty tomb opened a new gateway of hope. The apostle Peter, who was a dude that walked around a long, long time ago and wrote some great, great things. And in one of his letters that he named after himself, he writes, <laughs> one, in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, he writes this, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another apostle called Paul, he wrote this letter to his friends in in Rome. He named this book Romans. And he writes this, he says, We have it all together with God because of Jesus. And that's not all. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. In both cases, their hope was based on a person, and that person was Jesus. That person 
was Jesus. And that isn't all. Not only did they have hope in the person of Jesus, but they had hope that in what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste. It was a foretelling. It was a, it was a sign for the whole of the universe. This was big, bold hope. It was big, bold hope. Again, Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans. He says, everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. Meanwhile, the joyful hope deepens. You see, friends, I believe that biblical hope is bold, waiting for the whole of humanity, the whole of the universe, to be renewed, to be made new. To some, it may sound crazy, and maybe it is, but in a time where our world seems to protest everything from equal pay to climate change, can I just say that actually I think biblical hope is the true protest. It is the true uprising. It is the true rebellion. Hope cannot be defeated by adversity. Now, in fact, I want to say that adversity is the very ground that hope grows in. Paul writes this. Again, in Romans, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was being given to us. In her book, Hope in the Dark, Rebecca Solnit writes this, hope is not a lottery ticket that you can sit on a sofa and clutch feeling lucky. It's an axe you break down doors with in an emergency. Biblical hope is bold. It is bold. So as we come into land, how can we practice a habit of hope? Did you know today is the 1st of December? Come on! Christmas can finally start. Flipping heck, I had a hard time. Melissa, like if she had her way, the Christmas tree would have been up at like what? Come on. All year round. There you go. She would be singing, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Every flipping day. Um, but today marks the beginning of Advent. Um, it, I, I didn't really know what Advent meant, so I googled it. And it said this, that um, Advent, I'll say this, it's not on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Um, Advent is a period of time, about 28 days, um, whereby the church, um, you and I, um, we are encouraged to prepare our hearts um, in preparation for the coming of Jesus. I saw a little poem on Twitter today which said this, the Advent, it's the hush in the theatre between the house lights going down and the curtain coming up. That's cool, isn't it? I like that. Literally liked it. 
It's the hush in the theater between the house lights going down and the curtain going up. It's a season of anticipation. It's a time to intentionally wait, to anticipate, to hope. Tim Mackey, who is one of the guys who um, runs the Bible Project, if you've not seen that on YouTube or on your Bible app, it's brilliant. Um, But he says this, hope is an optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for what God Um, to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Um, In a high-tech, information-heavy, multimedia-savvy world, waiting's hard, isn't it? It's tough. Amazon Prime, anyone? Yes, please. I don't want to wait. Um, but it's really hard, and, and um, I've, I've been personally really challenged in the last couple of months um, around just being really like busy and in a hurry all the time. And, um, and so I just want to share with you just one, one very simple practice that I think um, well, that I've really, it's really helped me just grow in my relationship with God. And so therefore, when I talk about biblical hope, I'm like, I, can't, I, I, I can understand a bit of who God is now. I understand a bit of his past faithfulness. Um, because I've been trying to practice this thing called silence and solitude. And I just want to just humbly offer it as as maybe a way for for us in this season and these 28 days to engage with Advent. Um, And so the question really is, is what what might it look like for us to create spaces in the day where where we can intentionally choose to be silent um, and in the presence of God? What, what might that look like for us? To, 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 rather than rushing in to form in the morning, that, that actually we set our alarm a little bit earlier so that we can slowly walk to school rather than like me when I was a teenager. I rolled out of bed at quarter to nine. I needed to be there at quarter to nine. <laughs> you know, I was rushing. I only lived two minutes away. Um, you know, what, what would it look like for us to rather than just respond to all the emails that we know that are there in the morning. We don't check our phone. But, in, but instead, we put it on do not disturb mode. And we, we, we force our phone not to wake up until nine o'clock in the morning. Um, what would it look like for us to pray over emails? Uh, effectively, what does it look like for us to create stillness, for us to wait, anticipate, hope for God? So, as we really come into land, a beginner's guide to practicing silence and solitude, which, by, may I add, is all stolen off walkingwithgod.com or doctrinitychantlam.com. So I've not written this. Tim, Tim Grew did this. And so if you've got any problems with it, speak to him. Um, but here we go. Beginner's guide. Step one, identify a time. Identify a time. It might be the morning. If, if, like me, it's really hard to get up in the morning, you might change that. And you go, do you know what? That lecture's always free, or that time in the day is always free. So identify time. Maybe it's on the bus on your way home from school. Maybe it's while you're cooking dinner. I don't know. But step one, identify a time. Um, ideally, when you're fresh and rested. 
not when you're about to fall asleep. Step two, identify a place that is quiet and um, free from distraction. So um, for me, I, I would not find um, a coffee shop ideal. I've tried it in coffee shops, but it didn't help. Um, it needs to be a quiet place. Um, maybe a comfy chair. I've got a chair in our living room that's relatively comfy. I sit there most mornings with a coffee and just sit quietly and invite God's presence. Someone wrote a candle. Well, I'm not sure about that, Tim Grew. A candle, really? Um, but maybe a candle. Um, other, others prefer the outdoors. Others, you know, we're blessed with so many great parks, aren't we? I lived in Birmingham before here. You didn't go to the park in Birmingham. <laughs> Not unless you wanted something else. Step number three, set a modest goal. Let me tell you, if, I, if you challenge me to run a marathon tomorrow, I would die. All right? Don't, don't walk before you can crawl. Don't run before you can walk. Set a modest goal. If you've never done it before, maybe three minutes, five minutes. Maybe you can use your phone to set a timer. Or get a friend to te- like, you know, send you a text every, every time that, I don't know, whatever. But set a modest goal, yeah? Be kind to yourself. Um, number four, step number four, um, put away all distractions. You're not going to get silence and solitude while scrolling. It, it, I've tried it, won't happen. Promi- uh, like, uh, and if you want to invite, sorry, if you want to invite the Bible, physical Bible, um, like if you want to read in your, in your silence and solitude time, um, don't, like, it's, I find it really hard to read scripture on my phone. So I, I went and bought a real Bible. It's countercultural. I know, Elliot, a real Bible, right? <laughs> they exist still. Um, but that really helped me. Um, and the final one is, is, is the best one. Leave the best or last. Welcome God into that space. He's there already, but invite him to, to show up in a way that he, that, that he will make himself known. So that he can help you grow in your relationship and your understanding of his character. So that when we do hope for our future, it's not based on optimism, but it's based on the past faithfulness of God. Jürgen Moltmann, he wrote this. Whenever we base our hope and trust in the divine mystery, God, we feel deep down in our hearts there is someone who is waiting for us, who is hoping for us, who believes in us. And let me tell you, that has been my experience, that when I've paused long enough to invite God into those moments of my day, What I find is that I'm welcomed by this divine mystery. And it is a mystery. Because if you know me the way that God knows me, you wouldn't hang out with me. So it is a mystery. And and I feel deep down in my heart that there is someone who is waiting for me. There's someone who is hoping for me, who believes in me. In Lamentations, which is a very, very sad book, it's basically a really depressing prayer written to God. There's this glimmer of hope, slap bang in the middle. 
And it reads this, Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone, or her, sit alone in silence for the Lord has laid it on him. The message puts it like this. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. It's a good thing when you are young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Here's a hard thing. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full in the face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because God won't ever walk out and fail to return. Some of us tonight have had dads who have walked out and have not returned. Your heavenly father is no reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of him. God will never walk out and fail to return. Psalm 62 verse 5 says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God and my hope comes from him. As the band comes up and we finish and we kind of go into a bit of prayer ministry, I think. Um, <clears throat> again, Tim Mackey finishes that quote that I read earlier. He says, he says this, Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. And so we wait. And so let's wait. Let's wait where we are. It's okay, Chloe. We still love you. What have you dropped? Oh, okay. But let, let's, let's wait, friends. Um, I'm going to put that there. Um, Here's, here's a chance to just do that, to just wait on God. I've, I've, there's no, well, Timmy, do you want to do something now? Do you want to come and pr pray with me? Okay, great. Two Tims is better than one Tim. Um, but hey, let's, let's wait, hey? Let's wait on God. Um, you, you might find it comfortable where you are. You might want to try and find some space on the carpet. Um, if you're in the cinema seats, well done. You found the seats early. Um, just but let's wait on God. And, and so we just, very, very simple prayer. Um, God meets with us by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a, is a counselor, a comforter. He's called a, a Holy Spirit because holy literally means set apart, different. So this is a different kind of spirit. He's kind, gentle, 
comforting, counseling. And so the encouragement is to invite God by his Holy Spirit to come and meet with us in this moment. And so we just wait. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We wait for you now. Invite the Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're doing, God. We ask for more. Thank you for what you're doing. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you did. More of you, Lord.
more of you, Lord. Just as we've been waiting, if you know that God is just meeting with you, it, it'd be really, really helpful for us um, just so that we can partner with you in prayer and just and partner with God in what he's already doing. If you could just maybe just stand up where you are. If you, just, you might just sense something, but know something, dare I say feel something. It's just, you just, yeah, great. Stand, just make yourself known. And as you stand, just, just continue pressing in. Don't, don't give up. God, I don't think God's done with you, meeting with you yet. This is just, the, as someone once famously said, the first wave. His presence comes in waves. And if you're not standing up, there's nothing wrong with you. God is still meeting with you. I'm not feeling anything. So just bless what you're doing in these people, Lord, that, are, that have stood up, that sense that you're doing. And just as we continue to wait on God, it's just you know that, yeah, God, God is meeting with me in a, in a way that just, just stand where you are. Just gently stand where you are. And those, those around them, just gently lay a hand. Love to keep it girls to girls, boys to boys. Don't need to ask what's going on. Just bless it. Just say, come Holy Spirit, more of you. There's just someone, just a lad over here, then just some ladies. If there's anyone near you, if you've got a pulse and you love Jesus, you're the prayer team, welcome. Great, thank you. So you don't need to ask what, what they feel just is going on. God knows. Just invite God. Maybe even ask God, God, what is it that you want to say to, to my friend here, to this person here, um, through me? And pray with our eyes open as well, because it's really awkward if they fall over and we don't realize, or they walk off and don't realize. So pray with your eyes open. And if you're the one being prayed for, it's really helpful if you... Just keep your eyes closed because it's really awkward when there's a staring competition. Don't worry, no one's going to steal anything out of your pockets or your bag. It's a safe place. But again, just if, if you're just waiting, just continue waiting on God. This, is, you know, this isn't a spectator sport. It's not like football where we watch all the action going on. We participate in this moment. I just want to add a little thing to what Tim's just said there. Um, if you're connecting with God, just stay connected. I, I think for some of us, um, there's a little bit of a line in the sand moment, yeah. um, which is why it's really good to do something sometimes to reflect yeah. that. Yeah. And one of the little line in the sand that I think some of us want to draw, and I think it's the Holy Spirit encouraging us to do, mm. is that you would recognize that for you, hope has been about hoping for stuff, Mm. hoping for circumstances to change, hoping there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. God mm. welcomes all of those prayers. But you've um, realized tonight, God's spoken to you, that actually hoping in him yeah. is a whole different ballgame. Mm. And all of those other hopes for different things are contained within hoping in him. But to hope in him, like Tim's been saying, means getting to know him. Mm. It means knowing his character so that you can hope in yeah. him. And um, I just think if that kind of decision connects with people, I think there's a few folk, and you need to, to stand too, if I want to encourage you to stand too, mm. please. You just know you want to get to know him mm. more.
in order to hope, put all of your hope in him.